This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Welcome to the Hindu's In Focus podcast. I'm Zubeda Hamid, your host for today. The National Human Rights Commission, the NHRC, released a set of guidelines last month for the central and state governments to tackle the problem of child sexual abuse material or CSAM on the internet. Over the past few years, there has been a colossal increase in the availability of CSAM online. In its 2023 report, We Protect Global Alliance, which consists of governments, companies and charities working together for digital safety, said there was an 87% increase in such cases since 2019. What is the situation like in India? The NHRC says that according to the Cyber Tipline 2022 statistics, of the 32 million reports received about child sexual abuse material, 5.6 million reports were uploaded by perpetrators based in India. Recently, the United Kingdom passed a stringent online safety bill that introduces a number of obligations on how large tech firms must design, operate and moderate their platforms. Other countries too are contemplating or have already put in place such measures. So what are the vulnerabilities children in our country face when they go online with their devices? How does child sexual abuse material online lead to offline consequences? And where does India stand when it comes to regulating and making the digital space safe for children? We delve into these issues and more with Vidya Reddy of Tulir, Center for the Prevention and Healing of Child Sexual Abuse, a Chennai-based organization that has worked in this field for close to 20 years. Good morning and welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast Vidya. Good morning Zubeda. I'm looking forward to uh, engaging with you on the subject which we had planned. Vidya, last month the Ministry of Electronics and IT sent notices to YouTube, Telegram and Twitter to proactively filter child sexual abuse material on the internet in India. Tell us a little bit about the scope of the problem in this country. Uh I think I I mean it might sound pessimistic but I think when we are looking at technology uh we really are playing a catch up game not just India but worldwide because obviously technology can you know it, you know changes so rapidly and metamorphoses into different avatars so what we are I think what we are trying to do is to really contain an issue it's imperative that we understand the ground realities of what we are grappling with so when we are talking about uh you know the government sending notices to these three uh channels uh, to uh, take down stuff or to curtail or to have a policy we are not also not understanding that it's not not through the channels specific well known channels that um inappropriate material is accessible it can be just between people uh so i i at the prevalence is very hard to actually put a fix on but i would say anybody who has a device is liable to either um be accessing inappropriate material or having inappropriate material spam them access them so that's where we are at so i think it's more it's really important to also consider this conversation offline because as um i i've repeatedly said in the past we are not sure whether online interests are the result of offline um you know what are the what are the consequences offline 
or whether it's offline interests which are translating into an online consequence. So I think it's very important to have a perspective about this. Tell us a little bit about the semantics of this. There are words like child pornography versus child sexual abuse material. What what are what do these words specifically mean? What is the difference between them? Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a very important question, especially in the light of the fact that the National Human Rights Commission last month's advisory on child sexual abuse material said we have to change the terminology in the legislation in India. You know, Zubeda, in two thousand seven when uh, Tulir was asked to present to the Parliamentary Standing Committee on the inclusion of uh, child pornography, as it was called then, uh, by the you know, uh, government, uh, as to why it should be included in uh, amendments to the 67B into the IT Act. And one of my slides then was the semantics, why the semantics matters, child pornography was versus child sexual abuse material. And it's simply because... Child pornography doesn't convey the seriousness and the gravity of a child being sexually abused, um, you know, online on tech, uh, through technology. It child child pornography gives you the kind of impression that it's children watching pornography. And when we first thought about it, we did a straw poll with you know people just around, and we said, "What do you think child pornography is?" And ninety nine percent of people actually thought it was children watching pornography which in today's day and age is passe. It's a reality. It's a rite of passage, if you ask me, however much, uh, you know, the, the listeners to this program may not like it. But child sexual abuse material actually conveys this is material about children being sexually abused online. And that's what's important to understand. That's why I'm glad that... Um, right. Tell us a little bit more about what you were talking about in your last answer, Vidya. You said that we don't know whether the consequence whether offline interest is translating into online consequences or whether you're watching something online getting interested in that and that is translating into an offline consequence what are the linkages between uh, child sexual abuse material online and child sexual abuse itself when this whole issue about technology and intersecting with sexual violence first emerged in probably the you know late 90s um, early 2000s when technology started kind of overtaking our lives. There was a series of research studies done across the world trying to understand these connections and it's still going on. It's still going on. Uh, there are two sides to it, uh, but um, there is more evidence to show that uh, an offline interest is really translating into an online um, in interest in sexual abuse material. At the same time, you know, what was also interesting to note in the early years of research was when you wanted to access child sexual abuse material, it was very hard to find it. Even people who, even, you know, uh, adult content websites were very wary about allowing this kind of material on it. And when they did studies with people who had been apprehended, the most famous study is the 2007 study from Hernandez, which was actually embargoed by the U.S. government. Uh, in this study, it actually showed that for uh, people who had been arrested for offline child sexual abuse, nearly 76% of them had also uh, indicated that they had been accessing material online. 
So now is it is it, 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 it the verdict is still out? There are there are many researchers who say that there's really not much difference. But if you think about it from a very um, non-research perspective, from a perspective perspective of just people, you know, of, of just people and their way they think and the way they behave. If you had an interest, you would obviously, um, you know, try and pursue it. And that would help you make a decision about lots of things. So in this case, it probably what you would, all of us are brought up to think of as children, as, you know, children. And, you know, you wouldn't even want to go down this avenue of thinking of, of children in a sexual way. The fact that there is a proliferation in access to material which makes you think of children as objects of sexual gratification will probably help you rationalize that it's perfectly okay to um, also um, sexually have any kind of sexual activity or engagement with a child, which is very, very problematic. It really fuels the whole abuse scenario. It rash helps abusers rationalize. It probably brings in a new group of abusers to, uh, who wouldn't earlier have thought about it. So it, it's to me, it's very, very worrying that it really helps in the whole cognitive distortion process. Since the pandemic, Vidya, India has seen a massive increase in the number of devices used, especially among teenagers and children, because many of them had to use it for online schooling. So what are the vulnerabilities that children face online? Which children are more vulnerable to abuse and why? So it was really interesting, you know, when this whole, uh, when COVID happened and classes moved online, we would get panic calls from teachers saying, do you know what these children do in class? And, you know, there's a certain, I mean, the fact that there is certain, children do not understand that it can be traced back, a, a, a younger group of children, that it cannot can be traced back, that there's a digital footprint, etc. So, I mean, instead of being naughty in class, they were being extremely risque online. And we had case we have we knew of cases where uh, children would lower their phone, or, uh, uh, you know, to their groin area, or they suddenly introduce a pornographic image in class, just disrupt the entire class. So much so, many schools actually got observer teachers. So while one teacher was taking class, there was another teacher who was keeping a watch on what children were up to online their little boxes. But that's one part of it, yeah. And we had, uh, there, there was no orientation, there was no time to orient kids about appropriateness online, etc. That was one part of it. The second part of it was a way that was really, really worrying and threw up a whole new area for us to grapple with, is we had a number of parents coming in with really small children, usually below 10, uh, telling us that these kids during online class were spammed with pornography and they were really distressed and some of them had even got obsessed with pornography and were all the time kind of thinking about it and what do they do about it. And this was a really, you know, real. this was a real concern. Eight and nine-year-olds who were just completely thrown with these images which they were seeing and parents having to deal with it, not knowing what to do. So, um, you know, it's a brave new world out there really now. And I think parents really have a lot to do in, in understanding this world because children are born digital now. They're not even digital natives. Uh, now, most of us are digital immigrants to this medium. Whereas a two-year-old child, if you give them a phone, intuitively knows how to swipe. And usually the first thing they will do is try and take a picture. At kindergarten age, you have children trying to take pictures and, and taking pictures, not even trying. They immediately know, you know, how to how to kind of, it's, all, it's almost as if it's inbuilt into their DNA. 
so um, it's a whole new sh- style of parenting uh, which needs to be understood and which i i think as it was in the past i think parents have abdicated their responsibility they just think you know that by providing just uh, the basics for children children will just grow up to be these wonderful individuals they don't seem to understand parenting is very different now tell us about a little bit about the risks of grooming one of the reports that came out recently spoke about how it was easier and faster now for uh, for those who wanted to sexually abuse children to be able to groom them uh, online tell us a little bit about the risks that kids faced towards that okay so uh, grooming is a little understood process so it's essentially in an offline context it's how an abuser makes the child feel complicit in the abuse by targeting a vulnerability which they would have very carefully studied in that child exploiting that vulnerability yeah now it's taken a whole different hue and color online it it's a, you know if you have a child who is online and who has no idea of what's the whole uh, uh, implications ramifications of you know having conversations with complete strangers or um you know risky conversations i would say or, or you know who is in a, in a very vulnerable situation say like most most of us as we are growing up say you had a spat with your parents and you you're online and then somebody out there is online in one of these chat groups is, is showing you a lot of affection and saying and i understand what you're going through etc it's so easy to relate to that person and you know spill literally spill out whatever's on your mind and that person then starts you know getting uh, saying the right things pressing the right buttons and before you know it hey presto that child is probably taking pictures of themselves uh, or you know parts of their parts of their body and sending it to this uh, person we had a case of a 14 year old who actually uh, took pictures of her breasts sent it to some complete stranger she met online whom she just thought she had lots in common with in talking in, in and uh, three months later then met up with that stranger who turned out to be a 27 year old pharmaceutical representative now i do think there is a far different dynamic when somebody has seen parts of the private parts of your body which are private first before they actually meet you offline in person the dynamic is completely different so i i think the the implications of all this need to be understood really uh by children and and and, and I'm, as i said it's, it's a, there's a complete abdication in terms of the education which they are receiving as well as the parental uh, responsibility and supervision which is happening and in, in terms of uh, uh grooming it is very worrying in an online context it can happen in literally minutes to, because uh, it's it's a different world out there you know suppose you're gaming and somebody who you're gaming with you know if uh, in the part the chat figures out what your vulnerabilities are it's so easy to just press those buttons rather than an offline context where you have to deal with uh, you know a, a public space parents uh, uh, friends around the child etc here's just you the person and the screen so it's very easy are there any groups of children who are specifically more vulnerable to this sort of thing that's also a very interesting question you know there's a lot of research which is now coming out about children with disabilities who are generally quite socially isolated because of the disability being in a, a more vulnerable situation because this the this the the whole access with technology and devices does not recognize that disability 
and allows them the kind of level playing field which they would have had otherwise. So that's a, that's interesting. Younger children, of course, who probably don't know, children who are going through a difficult time in life. Uh, I, I, I would say children who are in a vulnerable situation offline. And people are vulnerable at different points in their lives. There's no one person who's not vulnerable, you know. And I think that's that allows for a greater propensity for, uh, uh, you know, a vulnerability for things to go askew, really. Yeah. But children with disabilities is an interesting area of research which is emerging. Talk to us a little bit about the role that schools and educational institutions can play play in this because we have a lot of programs uh, from the government also where free laptops are given, digital devices are given, especially since COVID. How, how much of a role should educational institutions be playing in actually teaching children how to safeguard themselves online? A massive role. A massive role. I truly hope that Tamil Nadu state education policy has recognized this as an issue and has included a whole section on digital citizenship in the curriculum because we no longer can divorce this from, um, you know, just uh, everyday uh, school. Uh, for instance, I always say at the end of every bit, uh, our hands now, we don't have fingers, we have phones, more so with children. Uh, who have access to various devices and who are more, uh, you know, uh, consummate in using these devices. So I think it's a very, and schools are now moving to smart classrooms and devices. I know many schools insist that kids have with tablets and computers. So I think, and the government's th- uh, trust in pushing towards digital, uh, uh, you know, India, I think it's really important that you understand, it's not just about safety, it's about digital citizenship. How mu- As much as you observe uh, you know, being um, a good citizen offline, I think it's important to understand what are the kind of engage rules of engagement online as well. So it's really, really important. And there's some fabulous sites internationally which people can go to and understand how this works. They have curriculum, they have educators, they have a whole uh, section on parents, they have stuff for kids. And the thing is, you know, Zubida, what I found very interesting, we are still playing catch-up game in the sense we are talking about giving children pamphlets and brochures and chapters in their textbook. It doesn't work. These children live online. You have to engage with them online. And that's what we're not that's not, not that's what's not happening really, you know. The NHRC in its guidelines has called for a number of measures, including the creation of a child sexual abuse material specific policy and specialized police units to deal with this. How urgently do we need these measures and what else does the country need to do? How urgently we needed it? We needed it 10 years ago. So that about tells you the urgency of it. Uh, There are, you know, at least one or two small specialized units at the center, but that's not enough. Uh, And the thing is, we have to understand how policing works in India. Policing is a state subject. And, you know, there are no specialized units, so to speak. So today you can be doing the cybercrime cell and tomorrow you can be in traffic investigation. I think the time has come to relook at this whole issue. The fact that the whole digital world is a very different world. It needs a special set of skills. It needs a special kind of understanding. And you have to keep up because every day it's changing. It's not even like, you know, it's like it's going to be uh, now, this is what it's going to be like for the next six months. No, every day it's changing. 
in the UK, for instance, they have a really interesting experiment where the, their police units, which deal with this, are actually uh, have youth advisory councils, which tell them what, what's happening on the ground. So these are groups of kids, um, you know, about 20 to 30 kids, who constantly are advising policymakers and police what is happening, what are the new, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, social media platforms which are being used, uh, which keeps us all informed. I mean, sir, I, I, I've attended cyber safety lectures by people who are still telling children about Facebook. I mean, no self-respecting child will even look at the direction of Facebook now. So that's that's where it is. They're on a different trip altogether. Then people will say Insta. Insta is just, just one part of it. There are new things which are coming out which even we don't know about, you know, what the kids know about. So I think it's very important. This truly is a very important thing where you have to have child and youth participation. But no, we still have this kind of very uh, parochial way of looking at things that we know better for the children. No, no, no. This is one area where the children have to guide us. And yes, specialized units are important, but I, I, I forget specialized units. Look at the current state of cyber forensics. A, a cyber forensics report takes so long to come, even when a case which has been filed, which has been registered, and you're waiting for the cyber forensic report. So unless we really uh, you know, pull up our socks in having the commiserate tools to uh, help with investigations, uh, specialized police units will probably just be twiddling their thumbs. What would a CSAM policy look like? Uh, we protect, which is a, a, a fabulous uh, source of. Um, it's it's a, actually it was a platform started in 2013 by David Cameron when he was UK Prime Minister and he had two small children. He realized this whole area of, uh, you know, the whole digital world and its impact on children. Uh, he brought together governments uh, and. It was like at the highest level. You had prime ministers of Canada, New Zealand, the um, uh, UAE, etc. And unfortunately, India is not part of WeProtect. I should also add that we're the only SARC country which is not part of that, um, uh, of the WeProtect Alliance. So now it's called the WeProtect Global Alliance. It's It brings together governments, the private sector, civil society, and law enforcement, intergovernmental agencies, which help develop policies and solutions to protect children. Now, this is a very important part of looking at it. And they have come up with a fabulous uh, document called the Model National Response, which tells you how each sector has a role to play in addressing CSAM. And we have to look at it that way. This is completely interdisciplinary. This is completely transnational. And it has to be viewed that way, you know. We can't... I, I mean, look at, the, look at the way the catch-up game we are playing. India only signed the access to the Interpol uh, child sexual exploitation database, I think in 2018. I, this, this has been there since the last, I think, 15 years. I'm only signed up in 2018. Even now we get NCMEC reports which come to NCR. Even in India, if you look at it, the CBI gets its reports from Interpol. NCMEC, which is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which has a huge cyber tip line, sends its reports to NCRB. So there is no central nodal way of collect, collating this information and, and the far, ex, more expeditious way of sending it across the states for a better resolution. Then you have the, the, the Canadian uh, cyber tip line, which is also very good. And I think it's, 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 it's very important that in this area of policing, that people actually learn from each other instead of trying to reinvent the tools. 
So, uh, uh, for instance, uh, Canada has a whole bunch of tools. The UK has a whole bunch of tools. The US has a whole bunch of tools. We have to learn from that. We have to adapt that. Instead of, again, coming up with this thing, saying, oh, we have to do our indigenous stuff. Uh, and then that, if talking about policing, I will tell you this and about the uh, policy, not from CSAM, but Mighty some years ago, actually wanted to send out a message to all of us asking for a list of words which people would use to uh, look for CSAM on the net. The way that CSAM works on slang, it doesn't really go by words. You will not type in a word like saying child, uh, you know, masturbating. No, you'll have a whole bunch of slang words. And this is the other issue of transliterated English, uh, you know, languages. Suppose you want to use, a, uh, you're looking for something in Tamil, but you type it in English. Very often, the social media channels, community standards will say they did not pick it up because they they go by script. They don't go by transliterated uh, languages. So there's a whole bunch of issues to be solved, and I think it's it's uh, it's important that we do it uh, as a collective group rather than you know try to do these individual numbers. Circling back to our first question, when we when we talked about how uh, all of these uh, platforms like YouTube, etc. had been issued with notices, how much responsibility do we need to place on these platforms and how much of policing should be concentrated there versus concentrating on people who are accessing this content? Yes, you know, people accessing this content, uh, so there are two parts to your questions. First, let me leave the latter part. The people accessing the content Everybody's accessing content. I mean, it sounds terrible to say this, uh, but, you know, Simon Bailey, the chief constable of the UK way back in 2010, I believe, he made this very interesting statement. It was very controversial at that point in time. He said it's simply not possible to prosecute people viewing CSAM because at, every given, at any given time, there are 20,000 people watching CSAM. So to me, it's it's really important to understand where where you put your priorities. Are you going to put your priorities in the people who are producing it and disseminating it, or are you going to produce it put your priorities in the people who are viewing it? I I think that's really one part of the thing. Uh, and the first part of your question was about the industry responsibility, intermediary responsibility. It's huge. Now for me as a layperson, I am constantly wondering. Why are all these chan- uh, you know, intermediaries having a different rule in, say, Singapore, in the European Union, in the UK, and have a different rule for uh, uh, India? If it's the same policy about looking at Australia is really strict about it. So why don't they have the same universal policy? Why are they waiting for any country to make a big noise and then, uh, you know, institute a policy or, or, have, a, or have a plan of action? This is something which really escapes me. And I think this is back to the whole developmental paradigm that you have a different source for the goose and a different source for the gander, depending on which part the global north, south, middle income, high income you belong to, in country you belong to. Like, for instance, in the in, in, in the UK, they've just passed a really, it's controversial, no doubt, but they've passed a really stringent uh, act uh, on, on online safety. European Union, the European Union is cracking down heavily on it. The UK, the US is now, uh, you know, uh, kind of figuring out how to push COSA through the whole house, uh, the kids' online safety bill. So uh, Australia has got an e-safety commissioner. Can you believe it? New Zealand has an e-safety commissioner. So I think it's really, really important. And look at the number of children in India. They're 420 million. And this is no longer a question about 
you know, economics, that it's a, a metro phenomena, it's an elite phenomena. No, no, no. Anybody who has access to technology will, will is at risk. Anybody. You have kids who live on the streets who are accessing and, and being accessed and being vulnerable to lots of situations. You talk to me about which children are more vulnerable. When the, now look at children living in the streets, extremely vulnerable. We have any number of instances where people have used technology to access children and abuse them because of their vulnerability or in terms of economics, of living on the street, of being just happy to have a, uh, as, as one uh, abuser would take these kids to these really plush hotels and give them lunch and then abuse them. And how did he meet them? Because he was busy distributing tablets and, uh, the, you know, these gizmos to them in, in this uh, uh, socially, economically disadvantaged area they were living in. And ironically, opposite the DGP's office in Chennai. You spoke a little bit about laws that other countries are putting in place. You said the UK has passed a stringent law, Australia has very stringent laws. And of course, how platforms adhere to these strict laws in other countries, but do not have those same policies for India. Where do we stand in India when it comes to rules and regulations about this? Are we very outdated? Well, we we did leap from Bulaka to rocket science, but it's still a long. I would still say we still have a lot more to do. You know, much of India, much much talk is done about this whole uh, digital digital India Act or whatever, but nobody's seen a draft of it. We keep, you know, our, our reaction so far has been very. It, it, it's, it's as I said, it's reactionary. It's very knee jerk. It's very ad hoc. There is no systematic way of doing it. And we have two we have two technocrats actually who are now in mighty. Uh, both the minister of state and the minister are are people with a technology background, and I think they you know they do understand it. But I think there are other various pushes and pulls that we are not coming down really heavily on the intermediaries. So that's a that's a different story altogether. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, Vidya. Thank you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.